0: Chapter Sixty two of the Count of Monte Cristo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David R. Miller. The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter Sixty two Ghosts. At first sight, the exterior of the house at Ortille gave no indications of splendor, nothing one would expect from the destined residence of the magnificent Count of Monte Cristo but this simplicity was according to the will of its master, who positively ordered nothing to be altered outside the house. The splendour was within. Indeed, almost before the door opened, the scene changed. Monsieur Bartuccio had outdone himself in the taste displayed in furnishing, and in the rapidity from which it was executed. It is told that the Duc d'Anton removed in a single night a whole avenue of trees that annoyed Louis the Fourteenth in three days monsieur bertuccio planted an entirely bare court with poplars large spreading sycamores to shade the different parts of the house and in the foreground instead of the usual paving-stones half hidden by the grass there extended a lawn but that morning laid down and upon which the water was yet glistening for the rest the orders had been issued by the count he himself had given a plan to bertuccio marking the spots where each tree was to be planted and the shape and the extent of the lawn which was to take the place of the paving-stones thus the house had become unrecognisable and bertuccio himself declared that he scarcely knew it encircled as it was by a framework of trees the overseer would not have objected while he was about it to have made some improvements in the garden but the count had positively forbidden it to be touched bertuccio made amends however by loading the antechambers staircases and mantelpieces with flowers what above all manifested the shrewdness of the steward and the profound science of the master the one in carrying out the ideas of the other was that this house which appeared only the night before so sad and gloomy impregnated with that sickly smell one can only fancy to be the smell of time had in a single day acquired the aspect of life was scented with its master's favourite perfumes and the very light regulated according to his wish when the count arrived he had under his touch his books and arms his eyes rested upon his favorite pictures his dogs whose caresses he loved welcomed him in the antechamber. the birds whose songs delighted him cheered him with their music and the house awakened from its long sleep like the sleeping beauty in the wood lived sang and bloomed like the houses we've long cherished and in which when we are forced to leave them we leave a part of our souls The servants passed gaily along the fine courtyard, some belonging to the kitchens, gliding down the stairs, restored but the previous day, as if they had always inhabited the house, others filling the coach-houses, where the equipages, encased and numbered, appeared to have been installed for the last fifty years, and in the stables the horses replied with neighs to the grooms, who spoke to them with much more respect than many servants their masters the library was divided into two parts on either side of the wall and contained upwards of two thousand volumes one division was entirely devoted to novels and even the volume which had been published but the day before was to be seen in its place in all the dignity of its red and gold binding on the other side of the house to match with the library the conservatory ornamented with rare flowers that bloomed in china jars and in the midst of the greenhouse marvellous alike to sight and smell was a billiard-table which looked as if it had been abandoned during the past hour by players who had left the balls in the cloth one chamber alone had been respected by the magnificent bertuccio before this room to which you could ascend by the grand and go out by the back staircase the servants passed with curiosity and bertuccio with terror at five o'clock precisely the count arrived before the house at Otir, followed by ali bertuccio was awaiting this arrival with impatience mingled with uneasiness he hoped for some compliments while at the same time he feared to have frowns Monte Cristo descended into the courtyard walked all over the house without giving any sign of approbation or pleasure until he entered his bedroom situated on the opposite side to the closed room then he approached a little piece of furniture made of rosewood which he had noticed at a previous visit that can only hold gloves he said will your excellency deign to open it said the delighted Bertuccio. and you will find gloves in it elsewhere the count found everything he required smelling-bottles cigars knick-knacks. good he said and monsieur Bertuccio left enraptured so great so powerful and real was the influence exercised by this man over all who surrounded him at precisely six o'clock the clatter of horses hoofs were heard at the entrance door it was our captain of spahis who had arrived on medea i am sure that i am first cried morel i did it on purpose to have you a minute to myself before every one came julie and emmanuel have a thousand things to tell you oh really this is magnificent but tell me count will your people take care of my horse do not alarm yourself my dear maximilian they understand i mean because he wants petting and if you had seen what a pace he came like the wind i should think so a horse of that cost five thousand francs said monte cristo in a tone which a father would use towards a son do you regret them asked morel with his open laugh i certainly not replied the count no i should only regret if the horse had not proved good it is so good that i have distanced monsieur de chateau Renaud, one of the best riders in france and monsieur de bray who both mount the minister's arabians and close on the heels are the horses of madame danglars who always go at six leagues an hour then they follow you asked monte-cristo See, they are here and at the same minute a carriage with smoking horses accompanied by two mounted gentlemen arrived at the gate which opened before them the carriage drove round and stopped at the steps followed by the horseman the instant debray had touched the ground he was at the carriage door he offered his hand to the baroness who descending took it with a peculiarity of manner imperceptible to any one but monte cristo but nothing escaped the count's notice and he observed a little note passed with a facility that indicates frequent practice from the hand of madame d'anglars to that of the minister's secretary after his wife the banker descended as pale as though he had issued from his tomb instead of his carriage madame d'anglars threw a rapid inquiring glance at which could only be interrupted by monte-cristo around the courtyard over the peristyle and across the front of the house then repressing a slight emotion which must have been seen on her countenance if she had not kept her color she ascended the steps saying to morel sir if you were a friend of mine i should ask you if you should sell your horse morel smiled with an expression very like a grimace and then turned round to monte-cristo as if to ask him to extricate him from his embarrassment the count understood him ah madame why do you not take that request of me with you sir replied the baroness one can wish for nothing one is so sure to obtain it if it were so with monsieur morel unfortunately replied the count i am witness that monsieur morel cannot give up his horse his honour being engaged in keeping it how so he laid a wager he would tame a deer in the space of six months you understand now if he were to get rid of the animal before the time named he would not only lose his bet but people would say he was afraid and a brave captain of Spahis cannot risk this even to gratify a pretty woman which is in my opinion one of the most sacred obligations in the world you see my position madame said morel bestowing a grateful smile on monte-cristo it seems to me said Dunglas, in his coarse tone ill-concealed by a forced smile that you already got horses enough madame d'anglars seldom allowed remarks of this kind to pass unnoticed but to the surprise of the young people she pretended not to hear it and said nothing monte cristo smiled at her unusual humility and showed her two immense porcelain jars over which wound marine plants of a size and delicacy that nature alone could produce the baroness was astonished why said she you could plant one of the chestnut trees in the Tuileries inside how can such enormous jars have been manufactured ah madam replied monte-cristo you must not speak of us the manufacturers of fine porcelain such a question it is the work of another age constructed by the genie of earth and water how so at what period could it have been i do not know i have only heard that an emperor of china had an oven built expressly and in this oven twelve jars like this were successfully baked two broke one from the heat of fire the other ten were sunken three hundred fathoms deep into the sea the sea knowing what was required of her threw over them her weeds encircled them with coral and encrusted them with shells the whole was cemented by two hundred years beneath these almost impervious depths for a revolution carried away the emperor who wished to make the trial and only left the documents proving the manufacture of the jars and their descent into the sea at the end of two hundred years the documents were found and they thought of bringing up the jars divers descended in machines made expressly on the discovery into the bay where they were thrown but of ten three only remain the rest having been broken by waves i am fond of these jars upon which perhaps misshapen frightful monsters have fixed their cold dull eyes and in which myriads of small fish have slept seeking a refuge from the pursuit of their enemies meanwhile danglars who had cared little for such curiosities was mechanically tearing off the blossoms of a splendid orange-tree one after another when he had finished with the orange-tree he began at the cactus but this not being so easily plucked as the orange-tree plucked him dreadfully he shuddered and rubbed his eyes as though awaking from a dream sir said monte-cristo to him i do not recommend my pictures to you who possess such splendid paintings but nevertheless here are two by hobema a paul potter a miras two by Gerard Du, a raphael a van dyck a Zurbaran, and two or three by Morillo, worth looking at stay said de i recognize this hobema ah indeed yes it was proposed for the museum which i believe does not contain one said monte-cristo no and yet they refuse to buy it why said chateau renault you pretend not to know, because the government was not rich enough. oh, pardon me, said Chateau Renaud. I have heard of these things every day during the last eight years, and I cannot understand them yet. You will by and by said Debray. I think not, replied. Major Bartolomeo Cavalcanti and Count Andre Cavalcanti announced a baptistin a black satin stock fresh from the maker's hands gray mustaches a bold eye a major's uniform ornamented with three medals and five crosses in fact the thorough bearing of an old soldier such was the appearance of Major Bartolomeo Cavalcanti that tender father with whom we are already acquainted Close to him dressed in entirely new clothes, advanced smilingly Count Andrea Cavalcanti, the dutiful son, whom we also know. The three young people were talking together. On the entrance of the newcomers, their eyes glanced from father to son, and then, naturally enough, rested on the latter, whom they began criticizing. Cavalcanti, said Debray. A fine name, said Morel. Yes, said Chateau Renault. These Italians are all well named and badly dressed. You are fastidious, Chateau Renault, replied Debray those clothes are well cut and quite new that is just what i find fault with that gentleman appears to be well dressed for the first time in his life who are those gentlemen asked danglars of monte Cristo. you heard cavalcanti that tells me their names and nothing else ah true you do not know the italian nobility the cavalcanti are all descended from princes have they fortune an enormous one what do they do try to spend it all they have some business with you i think from what they told me the day before yesterday i indeed invited them here to-day on your account i will introduce you to them but they appear to speak french with a very pure accent said danglars the son has been educated in a college in the south i believe near Marseilles. you will find him quite enthusiastic upon what subject asked madame danglars the french ladies madame he has made up his mind to take a wife from paris a fine idea that of his said Danglars shrugging his shoulders Madame Danglars looked at her husband with an expression which at any other time would have indicated a storm but for the second time she controlled herself the baron appears thoughtful to day said Monte Cristo to her are they going to put him in the ministry not yet i think more likely he has been speculating on the boss and lost his money monsieur and madame de villefort cried baptistin they entered Monsieur de Villefort, notwithstanding his self-control was visibly affected and when monte-cristo touched his hand he felt it tremble certainly women alone know how to dissimulate said monte-cristo to himself glancing at madame Danglars, who was smiling on the procureur and embracing his wife after a short time the count saw bertuccio who until then had been occupied on the other side of the house glide into the adjoining room he went to him what do you want monsieur bertuccio said he your excellency has not stated the number of guests ah true how many covers count for yourself is everyone here your excellency yes bertuccio glanced through the door which was ajar the count watched him good heavens he exclaimed what's the matter said the count that woman that woman which the one with the white dress and so many diamonds the fair one madame Danglars i do not know her name but it is she sir it is she whom do you mean the woman of the garden she that was enceinte she who was walking while we waited for her bertuccio stood at the open door with his eyes starting and his hair on end waiting for whom bertuccio without answering pointed to Villefort with something of the gesture macbeth uses to point out banquo oh oh he at length muttered do you see what who Him? him Monsieur de villefort the king's attorney certainly i see him then i did not kill him really i think you're going mad good Bertuccio, said the count then he is not dead no you see plainly he is not dead instead of striking between the sixth and seventh ribs as your countrymen do you must have struck higher or lower and life is very tenacious in these lawyers or rather there is no truth in anything you have told me it was a fright of your imagination, a dream of your fancy. You went to sleep full of thoughts of vengeance. They weighed heavily upon your stomach. You had the nightmare. That's all. Come, calm yourself, and reckon them up. Monsieur and Madame de Villefort. Two, Monsieur and Madame d'Anglales. Four, Monsieur de chateau Renault, Monsieur de Bray. Monsieur Morel. Seven, Major Bartolomeo Cavalcanti. Eight. Eight, repeated Bertuccio. Stop you are in a shocking hurry to be off you forget one of my guests lean a little to the left stay look at monsieur Andre cavalcanti the young man in the black coat looking at murillo's madonna now he is turning this time bertuccio would have uttered an exclamation had not a look from monte cristo silenced him benedetto he muttered fatality half-past six o'clock has just struck monsieur bertuccio said the count severely i ordered dinner at that hour and I do not like to wait. And he returned to his guests, while Bertuccio, leaning against the wall, succeeded in reaching the dining room. Five minutes afterwards, the doors of the drawing room were thrown open, and Bertuccio appearing, said with a violent effort, "Dinner awaits." The Count of Monte Cristo offered his arm to Madame de Villefort. "Monsieur de Villefort," he said, "will you conduct the Baroness d'Anglas?" Villefort complied, and they passed on to the dining room. End of chapter Sixty Two.